0: Uh, Today I want to share with you just a personal note as I prepare to bring in front of you the uh, final speakers of our Summer Lights series for this summer. Uh, It was, I think, when I was 26 years old that I participated for the very first time as an officiant in a wedding of a couple. I recall it being in a beautiful garden in rural New Jersey that the uh, groom at the time was the a strapping young Cornell University graduate who had just emerged from a master's degree program with me at Princeton Theological Seminary. And alongside of him that day was a lovely bride whose uh, grace and wisdom already seemed far beyond her years. And I remember thinking, this is a day of great promise. And it has been an incredible journey to watch just how that promise has unfolded. Because after, over the past 33 years, that marriage not only survived, but thrived. It produced four amazing children, just recently a new grandson, and so many strengthened families of faith. Over the course of those multiple decades, Dr. Steven and Liz Heinzel Nelson successfully shepherded two congregations in the great state of Florida, and for the past 21 years, have led the people of the Allentown Presbyterian Church in New Jersey. Uh, Steve's remarkable gifts as a preacher and a pastor have helped to account for why the Allentown Presbyterian Church is one of the healthiest, most growing churches in our Presbyterian denomination. And Liz's extraordinary abilities and multiple gifts have built a youth ministry in that congregation with hundreds and hundreds of kids involved that is one of the most renowned ministries of its kind in the entire Northeast. In 2008, Liz and Steve's gifts converged to establish a Christian community development ministry in far off Malawi, Africa. And they founded an organization called Villages in Partnership that God has used to bring flourishing to tens of thousands of precious people over this past decade. Through our Take Root initiative, we have invested in this particular enterprise. Last summer, sent a team to work alongside of them in Malawi, and you're going to get a glimpse today of the profound significance of that investment that we are making. I should also note that John Klingelhofer, our Executive Pastor of Outreach, knows these two, has been close friends with them, as I have, for many decades now as well. And so we have especially looked forward to this day coming. And I hope you will join with me now in giving a very warm welcome, first to Steve, then to Liz Heinzel Nelson, as they close out today, our 2018 Summer Lights series. Please welcome them to the pulpit of Christ Church.
1: <laughs> Thank you, Dan. Most, most of what Dan just said is true, um, especially the part about him performing our wedding. And I thought you would love to see that glorious day, July 27, 1985, uh, when we stood in that garden with Dan. And uh, we do have a picture from there. You might, you might be able to find Dan if you look real closely. There, there he is. So uh, thank you, Dan. It's good to be here. I want to talk to you uh, today about the God who comes uh, to the places where we are and extracts us from the mud. The God who comes into the darkest, the most desolate, and the dirtiest places in our lives and in our world because that's often where God does His greatest work. Would you pray with me? We thank You, God, uh, for this place and this time this great opportunity to come and to worship you, to praise your name, to learn from you, to hear as you speak to us from your word. O oh God, be with us and guide us. May our words and our thoughts be yours. In Christ's name, amen. I don't know about you, but I was riveted uh, at the end of June and early July about what was happening in northern Thailand. As the world converged to try to bring those 12 boys and their football coach out of the end of that uh, dark uh, cave where they found themselves, you know they had supposedly were going to football, soccer, practice, but instead they decided to go out exploring a cave right at the beginning of monsoon season. And they went back in the cave, and of course, the heavens opened up, the caverns were flooded, and they were trapped at the end of almost a two-mile corridor leading back into this cave complex. And so the parents, when they didn't come uh, home, went out looking for them. They found their bicycles, their soccer cleats, and realized where their sons had gone. And suddenly, the word got out, and the world began to watch and to pray in anxiety and wonder as to how were they going to extract these boys from that dark place. Were they even alive? And as you know, they found them after 10 days, all alive and well. One of the Navy SEALs died in the attempt to get them oxygen and food, and eventually all were brought out safely. Now, this is an extreme story for sure, but it really isn't just their story. That is also our story. That is the story of our spiritual lives. Because the fact of the matter is all of us, often through our own bad choices, sometimes simply through the monsoon seasons of this world, find ourselves trapped in very dark places. We find ourselves in places where we would rather not be. And it's in those times that we find ourselves calling out to God for deliverance. You know those dark places. Some of you have been there, some of you are probably there right now, and all of us, even if we haven't been, will eventually find ourselves. For some of us, it's a dark place in our relational lives. Maybe we're in a relationship where the love has been lost, or maybe we're longing to be in a relationship and we just feel so lonely and wonder, is there somebody out there for us? For some of us, that dark place is a financial pit, a pit of debt that feels desolate and dry and hopeless. Often we find ourselves these days in a dark pit of anxiety or depression or we see our kids going through these struggles. Addictions are claiming us, overconsumption of all different kinds of things that begin to destroy our lives, pulling us down leaving us feeling as if we are in a pit of despair. We've all been there. We all understand it. Perhaps it's a grief, a wound that just won't heal, a sense of failure, a sense of loss. We find ourselves at one point or another in a place of despair and darkness. And we wonder, will God come to this place? And lo and behold, what we find is that God is no stranger to dark places. In fact, God has a particular specialty about turning darkness into light, of drawing people up out of pits, of taking people covered in mud and filth and washing them clean again. That is where God does His greatest work, my friends. And so we are not despair, we do not despair, nor are we undone when we find ourselves in those dark places. One person who found himself in that particular place lived several thousand years ago, and he recorded his experience in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, Psalm 40, one of the greatest psalms and one of my favorites, and I want to share just the first three verses with you as our scripture text this morning. Psalm 40 says this, I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit, out of the miry bog, and He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. We don't know who wrote this particular psalm, but we certainly can relate to him, can't we? His life for him at one point felt as if he was in a desolate pit, a dry well, or as if he was in a a mud pit covered in slime, a miry bog. We don't know what his particular pit was, what it was that had overtaken him, what his dark place was. Maybe he was very sick. Maybe he had a child who was ill. Maybe he had a relationship that was broken. Maybe he had an enemy he couldn't overcome. Maybe he had a problem he couldn't figure his way out of. We don't know, but we understand his words. And we understand that it was from that place that he cries out to God, that he calls out for deliverance, and God hears his prayer. And God comes and he lifts him up, he puts him on a rock, he cleaned him up, he put a new song in his mouth, he changed his life, transformation happened. But we don't know what was the form of that deliverance. The way that God comes and rescues us is different from person to person. But often, God sends someone else, often somebody who has been in that same dark place where we are, who comes alongside of us, who then has the wisdom, the experience to draw us out of that dark place. But notice that this deliverance did not happen instantly. The very first line is perhaps the most important line of this psalm. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. did he wait a day a week a year a generation we don't know but we do know that God came into that dark place that deep pit that miry bog and he changed that man's life And because of that, he couldn't stop talking about what God had done for him. He couldn't stop talking and praising God and telling other people about the greatness of God. And friends, that's our job. For those of us whom God has found in the dark pit of our sin, who has come down and reached down to redeem us, we now have the responsibility of sharing that good news so that we can draw other people up and put a new song in their mouth. Those of us who have been transformed by the grace of Jesus now have responsibility to share that grace with others. I want to talk to you this morning about a particularly dark pit. A deep place, a place of incredible pain and suffering a place where none of us in this room have ever been, and yet it is a place of darkness where one billion members of our human family today are living and experiencing. It is the pit of extreme poverty. Now you and I probably know and perhaps some people here have come out of poverty or have seen people who live in poverty. But no one who lives in the United States of America has ever experienced extreme poverty. There's a wonderful book that's out that I would commend to you called Factfulness. It's written by a man named Hans Rosling. Dr. Hans Rosling is a Swedish physician who was a um, uh, director of uh, international health, a professor of international health. And he became a TED Talk superstar. His TED Talks have been seen by over 35 million viewers, and I would commend them to you. Um, But he, um, in his book, uh, describes in a very graphic way what extreme poverty is. And I want to just share this very brief quote with you. Extreme poverty happens, uh, and it looks like this. Your five children have to spend hours walking barefoot with your single plastic bucket, back and forth, fetching water from a dirty mud hole, an hour's walk away. On their way home, they gather firewood, and you prepare the same gray porridge that you've been eating at every meal, every day of your life. Except, during the months when the meager soil yielded no crops, and you went to bed hungry. That, my friends, is extreme poverty. And as I said, one billion people today are living in that condition. Most of those one billion people live in sub-Saharan Africa, in countries like Malawi. Now, I had never heard of Malawi Africa about 12 years ago, and as my wife and I began to pray for God, who had drawn us up out of our own darkness and asking where could we go in and in, in to have a redemptive impact in this world, through a series of conversations, He led us to Malawi, Africa. Now, if you don't know where Malawi is, I have a map here. It's in southeastern Africa, a tiny country. It's uh, Roughly the square mileage is just a little bit smaller than the state of Illinois. Uh, 19 million people live in that tiny country. The vast majority of them live in extreme poverty. They live out in rural areas where they are just barely eking out a living. And that is where God Sent us. Our church gave us a one year leave of absence without pay to go from the wealthiest country in the world to what is often ranked by the World Bank as one of the top, the bottom five poorest countries. And so on New Year's Eve day of 2007, December 31st, we gathered in our driveway and we took off. I have a picture of us getting ready to leave uh, for Malawi. You can see how excited my two youngest daughters. <laughs> were to be leaving New Jersey to go to Malawi. Um, And off we went, and we spent a year living there, uh, teaching and and, uh, working in churches, and for the very first time in my life, I was exposed face to face with extreme poverty. We ended up uh, being uh, led by God out into a rural area, and when we came back uh, after that year, Uh, We had developed relationships in that area, and we started an organization called Villages in Partnership. The mission of Villages in Partnership is to lift people living in extreme poverty out of that cycle of oppression, to hear the cries of people living in that particularly dark place, and to come alongside of them and draw them up. I want to be very clear about this. The people of Malawi are not hopeless, nor are they helpless. They are simply living in a dark place, longing to be drawn up. These people are hard-working, people who love their children, people who are longing for a better future. They are just like you and I, but the circumstances in which they find themselves are so completely different that they simply need someone to come alongside of them to hear their cry and draw them up. And God sent us to be the conduit so that people like you could join us in this incredible transforming work of breaking the cycle of extreme poverty. And that's what's been happening. And when I say extreme poverty, I mean we have seen this up front. Uh, People who are drawing water out of unprotected sources and then taking that water back home and using it as drinking water for their children who then become sick and die from very easily curable diseases. I think we have some pictures of this. People whose crops are being ravaged by drought every day so that when uh, the the climate change happens, they don't have enough food to feed their families, leading to malnutrition among children uh, that we see wandering around every day. We have people living in houses that would be completely condemned with thatched roofs that leak like a sieve whenever it rains. So that their meager possessions become soaked households that are led not by adults but by children because all of the adults have died and there simply aren't enough aunts and uncles to take in the orphans and so now children are raising children and everywhere we go death is never far away even for the youngest and you can see the size of the coffins that are being built for the people there friends that's what we saw every day and we heard the cries of the people living in those situations and we began to mobilize the resources of our friends to come alongside of them. And so what Villages in Partnership does is develops a series of interlocking, life-changing opportunities and resources that work in conjunction with, in partnership with the people who are the ones living there. They are the ones who set the initiative and we come alongside of them and support and encourage and help them. I want to tell you the story about one such woman. Her name is Chifundo Kemwenda. Chifundo lives in one of our villages, and I met her uh, last summer sitting under a mango tree. Chifundo grew up in this extreme poverty. Her father died uh, when she was uh, a young girl. She had four other siblings. She dropped out of school to help her mother support her younger siblings. Uh, She uh, became pregnant when she was 16, had her first child when she was 17, and began to raise her family in the same shack that she had grown up in, um, with a thatched roof that was falling apart. Well, Chifundu, uh, if you could go back to the previous slide, Chifundu heard about an initiative started by villages in partnership, a very simple idea called a VSL, a Village Savings and Loan. And all a Village Savings and Loan is, is teaching people how to save money and then make small loans to one another. And so the women of her village gathered together, she took a risk and joined this group, and they would pool their few dollars together until they had a lump sum big enough to make a loan. And she took out a loan from her group and started a popcorn business. She went out and bought a bag of popcorn from the market, brought it home, popped it, put it in smaller bags, and sold it for a slight margin. And she made so much money from her popcorn business that it supplemented the little bit of money that she was putting in to their uh, group. She paid her loan back with interest, and at the end of the year took out a large enough lump sum from the VSL that she had enough money to pay some men in the village to build her and her husband and her three children a brand new house. This is her new house from a two-room house with a thatched roof that was falling apart to a five-room house with an with a iron sheet roof that doesn't leak. And she was so proud of her new house, and it's beautiful, and it's extraordinary. The next year after that, she saved enough money to buy livestock. She bought a pair of pigs, and she took us back behind Her brand-new house to show us the pigs and I looked in the, the the window there where the pigs were and then I said where did you used to live that's where she used to live where the pigs are now living Chifundo and her family have been drawn up literally out of the muck and mire of a place that was better fit for livestock And God has put her into a brand new house and she is praising God because people like you and me heard her cry and drew her out. And now her children are going to school every day. They're going to learn a trade and the cycle of extreme poverty has been broken for that family and dozens and dozens like them. I'd like to introduce to you the executive director of Villages and Partnership, my wife of 33 years, Liz Heinzel Nelson, to tell you more about what we're doing.
2: There are one million orphans living in Malawi, Africa. One million children living in a very dark, cave statistics like this can be hard to understand it can be difficult for us to wrap our heads around what does this really mean in real life and so i want to tell you a a story as we began working in the village the year that we lived there um the first project that was identified by the villagers was to rebuild a medical clinic that was a crumbling brick shack. And each day, when I would return home from our work in the villages, and I was downloading the pictures I had taken during the day into my laptop, I noticed this smiling little face appearing in every single picture every day, no matter what we were doing. If we were meeting with the chiefs and villagers under a mango tree, there he was. Um, I think we have some slides of him showing up. Um, If we were in the mud pit making bricks, there he was. If we were playing with the kids, there he was. If we were removing rubble, there he was. No matter what we were doing, he was always there. So curious, what are these white people doing in my village? What are they here for? Why are they helping us? I eventually came to learn that his name was Sydney. Sidney, um, the, the thing that you can't miss about this kid is that when he smiles, he lights up a room. His smile just radiates life. And so I took some really warm memories of him when I went back home. The following summer, I went to live in the villages and was taken to meet a vulnerable family, a child-headed household. I brought along a few gifts for the family, some plastic cups, a blanket, some toothbrushes. Now, when I say small, they're small to us, but these are things that the people in the villages don't have. They eat with their hands. They share a common cup. They pass a cup around. They sleep on a bamboo mat. They don't have blankets. And even though it's Africa, it gets cold there at night. And so these people don't have these kind of items. So when we arrived at the house of the vulnerable family, the homeowner wasn't there, and our host sent the children to go look for them. And as we were waiting under the thatched roof of the house, she told me that the mother had recently passed away, the father had disappeared years ago. And as we were standing there talking, who should come around from the corner of the house? Sydney. Sydney, Moulibangi, how are you? I haven't seen you all summer. And Sydney stood there, his face dark, downcast. And I'm suddenly putting together that Sydney is the homeowner. Sydney's the one my host was telling me about. Sydney is a child headed household. I felt so embarrassed giving Sydney some plastic cups when he had just lost his mother. He's a child headed household. He's in charge of. Bringing in the harvest, collecting the water, gathering the firewood. He has a younger sister. He's got to make sure they both survive. Cindy had joined the miserable rank of being one in a million, one million orphans in Malawi. Suddenly, These statistics became real to me. These words of what it means to be a child-headed household, an orphan, vulnerable. Such an overwhelming statistic, one million orphans. How can we ever make a difference? But we can make a difference. You know, there's an African proverb that says, If you think you're too small to make a difference, you've never slept with a mosquito. (laughs) I want to tell you about a swarm of crazy mosquitoes that are all working together, that look very much like you. Families, churches, universities. They gave Sydney a goat. A goat makes a huge difference to a vulnerable family. This particular breed, they twin, and families, vulnerable families take the offspring and sell them so that they can have extra money to buy food and household items to get them through the hungry season. Sydney and many others received goats. Sydney and many others went to secondary school. I went to visit Sydney at secondary school, and I asked him, "Sydney, what kind of dreams are you beginning to have for yourself? You have a future ahead of yourself now. What do you see yourself doing? And I have a video that I want to share with you of how he responded.
3: My name is Sydney Nekhikai. I came from Karubi Village. I'm 17 years now. The first time you meet me, in the village I was seven years old. At that time it was so painful to live with my younger sister Judith. He had a four years old and I was eight years. I had a lot of work to do, fetching for water firewood, looking for the people who can have a piece of work that so that I can do I could get the food before for us to survive in, in, in the house. I spend a lot of time doing the work while my friends are going to school. I like to be uh, like understand the culture of people, how they live, what the problem they have, and how can we solve it. I want to to help in, in the village, like developing communities. I myself, uh, I have been extracted from from the mud. I was nothing, I can say. You people, through God, yeah, chose me in the village. We have a lot of people. There. We are struggling with education. But uh, I have been chosen as one to... Maybe it's God's will that I should help in the village, not in my way.
2: <laughs> Sydney just left for college last week. <laughs> Sydney has been extracted from the mud. And many other Sydneys have been extracted from the mud as people like you help pay for their school tuitions. Many chifundos have been extracted from mud as people like you come alongside her and offer opportunities to start small businesses, change their futures forever. As we come alongside the vulnerable, the poor, the child-headed households, God extracts them from the mud. And somehow, God extracts us from the mud. I'm still in my muddy, sloggy, selfish pit, but somehow God has extracted me to help others to be an answer to someone else's prayer.
1: And so our prayer is that your prayer will sound something like this. I waited patiently for the Lord. And he heard my cry he inclined to me. And he drew me up out of the desolate pit, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. And he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. We want to show you a video um, that uh, shows some of the work happening at Villages in Partnership being accomplished by members of Christ Church of Oakbrook. Last summer, the summer of 2017, four members of your congregation came over uh, while we were on the ground and got involved in helping to uh, address the problems of extreme poverty. And uh, we just want to show you a a very short uh, uh, video of some of the kind of things and hope that others of you may be called by God to go over and see firsthand and get involved in what we're doing. And if you do feel called in that way, please talk to John Klingelhofer, uh, your director of missions, and he'll help you connect to us and um, get the process started. Lord, thank you so much for this congregation. Bless them, watch over them, and use them to perform incredible acts of freeing people, of drawing people up. In Christ's name, amen.
3: Everything because of rice. We were in the darkness. Now we have lights. <laughs>